0: Um, We're going to continue in our series of bells. I I did not give a slide on bells or anything, but I know every time that Jamie and Heidi have been like, let's remember what it's about. and There's these words already on the screen, but not today. Uh, But we've been talking about uh, bells, right? stood for blessing, and Pastor Jamie talked about that and even gave us some money to give away and to be a blessing in the world. Um, It was about eating, And Annie talked about that and just the importance of eating together in community. We talked about listening, listening to each other, which I don't know know about you, but hard for me sometimes. I, I entertain my own thoughts often over those of others. But also listening to God. And then last week we were supposed to talk about learn, but as Pastor Heidi wasn't going to be here this week, I swapped with her. So we talked about the Sabbath and that the Sabbath is made for us and not uh, that, uh, what was it, the other way around? Like not, the, the Sabbath was made for us and we not for the Sabbath? Something like that. But but really that it's good to take a Sabbath. It's good to take some time with God and it's rejuvenating. Um, and then today we'll be talking about learn. So our bells has now officially changed into bells. It uh, doesn't roll of the tongue as nicely, so we'll just stick with bells. But one of the things I was, this morning I was... Uh, just reflecting on a little bit, it's like, one way to look at bells, and please, I hope you don't, but you might, is like, wow, there's all this stuff I don't do. There's all these inadequacies, all these things, like I'm not blessing people as often as I could. I'm not asking people to come and eat with me or whatever. Uh, when I look at it, there's a whole lot of things I'm not doing, or not doing well. And I hope you're not looking at it that way. I really hope you're seeing it as an encouragement. Like when you start your week, you can think, oh, we have bells, like maybe I can bless somebody this week. Or maybe I can invite somebody over for dinner. Or maybe I can set aside a little bit of time this week intentionally to spend with God. Or uh, maybe a full day of Sabbath is not going to work, but I can take three hours of the Sabbath and try that out. And maybe that can grow into something. So I hope you're really seeing it as an encouragement. And um, let me pray pray that over us as well. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sunday morning to come together here on on the last of our series, Bells. And I I pray that uh, as I speak, that it will be an encouragement for us that you are a loving God that loves us with our inadequacies and that this is just another way to help us grow closer to you. Lord, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us uh, both through uh, the things I say well and the things I do not say well uh, because, Lord, you are God and uh, not I. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Amen. So, uh, today we're going to talk about learn. And uh, I realize the topic is so big, as all of them were, so I decided to funnel a little bit towards specifically learning in the context of the Bible. Um, Obviously, as Christians, we learn in a variety of different ways, but I really wanted to kind of focus a little bit on the, the, the Word of God. It's a great gift that's been given us. And uh, how can we learn from that? And so as I was thinking about learning, I thought, um, well, first, we're in Pullman. We're in an academic environment, so learning can give you both positive and negative feelings. I, I read somewhere that um, in the industrialized, developed world, whatever name you want to give it, um, People now up to the third generation, so people in their 70s or 80s, will have this recurring dream where they're walking through their school and they know they're too late for this exam that they didn't learn from or, or learn for and they're just, they're just panicking, right? And this is something that doesn't happen in other countries except for the industrialized world. And it's, it's interesting, we have some negative feelings with acad- academics right? that stay with us. Uh, and not all the learning we do in our lives is necessarily pleasant, but on the other hand, learning is what we do from the earliest moments. We, we are born, we start to breathe, we start to walk, play with our toys, and a lot of learning is fun. And one of the ways learning is fun for me has been around bread. So let me show you what a bread looks like, or a slice of bread, a few slices of bread in Holland. So there will be a little picture of that. And these are open sandwiches, this is how most Dutch people eat them. It's from top down, so it might be a little hard to interpret what you're seeing. It's a slice of bread, it's a little butter on there. On the left, it's cheese, and that's all that goes in there. On the other one, it's chocolate sprinkles. And this is not like chocolate sprinkles you put on a pie or a cake. Uh, These are really good, pure chocolate, taste amazing. Um, That's what I grew up with. Now, you can get prepackaged bread in Holland just like you do here, But uh, most of the time, we just get fresh bread every couple of days or so. Um, Although my mom would stick it in the freezer and then a week later call it fresh bread, which I do not agree with. But anyway, that's sidetracking a little bit. Uh, (coughs) When I came, we first moved to LA, uh, I I had a hard time finding bread I really liked. it wasn't that there was good bread. If you want to spend $5, you can get a good bread. But it still wasn't the bread I was used to. And so um, about a year in, I bought a bread maker, hoping that that would get me something that tasted like the bread I was used to. And <laughs> excuse me. Um, with a little bit of trying things out, it tasted okay. Then I found out I could make dough in the bread maker and then stick it in the oven. That tasted a little better. But whatever I did, bread always kind of tasted the same. I just wasn't able to figure out how to make this. Um, better. And so eventually I gave up. I just kind of said, yeah, well, I'll just buy bread and some of the bread tastes okay and you kind of adjust your taste, etc. And then this summer I, I was in Holland again and my dad just gets on a bike. He bikes to the market and he gets I don't know, 10 loaves of bread. Dutch people, that's probably the only thing they ever eat. Um, and it tasted amazing and I'm like, I have settled for less. I want this kind of bread. So how am I going to, like, figure this out. So I came back home and I was like, this bread maker thing hasn't worked. Bread maker goes out of the door. And I'm going to try to figure out how to, to do this more by hand. And so I started reading about a variety of different ways, how Europeans make bread, Dutch, pe- like, Dutch people specifically make bread. And um, I had to contextualize a little bit. If you have things in grams, how is it going to work in ounces? Or if you have a certain type of flour that you can't actually buy here, okay, what do I replace that with? And so I just kind of had to figure those things out. And then eventually I tried it out. And the first time that bread came out of the oven, it was like, eh, this isn't all that great. But I was like, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. I'm going to read again, try to figure this out. What is the problem? And every time, I did that, I, I was able to improve a little bit of that bread, and it got a little better. Um, eventually, what I really found out was that, I, that the main thing I needed to learn was to, to love my yeast. Yeast is your friend. You want to give it a warm environment, you want to give it stuff to eat, like sugar. You don't want to get it in contact too quickly with salt because it just doesn't work as well. And actually, it can even be your friend, like you can need less and just and, and use less yeast, and just let it rise longer. And as I tried those things, my bread started getting better and better. Now, it's not exactly where I want it to be, but it's been a really fun process of doing that. And so, from that, I came up with just a few steps in the way I learn. This is not scientific, this is just how I seem to be learning. So there's a, a list of ways I learn. <laughs> let me see, the list should be up here. The first one is to have a desire to learn. I, I had a desire to learn, eventually I lost that desire to learn, I kind of settled, like, oh well, this is too much work. Um, but then, again, like this summer, it's like, I really want this kind of bread, so I had a desire to learn. And then I needed to read about it. I mean, I could have co- probably gone to somebody who, uh, who who is a great baker and he could have, or he or she could have told me about it and helped me. But in this case, I had to find some reliable sources of information I can tell you the internet isn't full of reliable sources of information, specifically on some of the forums. All kinds of strange things were said about bread that weren't necessarily true or at least didn't work for me. So I had to kind of sift through that. And then I had to figure out, like, what does this actually mean? Now, I don't know if anybody else has this, but recipes just drive me crazy. I don't like them. Like specifically on the internet, you go start reading them, and it's like first twenty paragraphs of how this bread is going to improve your relationships, and how uh, it, I, I don't know, like how it reminds you of your childhood and the smell of the house, and and all that kind of stuff. So you have to kind of skip that. I figured out that's not that important. Um, and then you come to the ingredients, which is great. I like a list of ingredients, but then you have the steps you have to follow, and they don't necessarily include the measurements of the ingredients above, and so now I have to go shift between the ingredients and the list of things I needed to do. And to me, it was just a lot of, like, let's rewrite this recipe so I understand it, so I know what I needed to do. Of course, I had to contextualize. Like I said, measurements are different, ingredients might be different. And then I had to apply it on your marks, get set, bake, do it. And, of course, eventually... Do some evaluation. Get that bread out there and look at my family. Do you like it? And they're like, oh, choo, choo, choo. yeah, it's great. Okay, maybe I need to figure out how to do this a little better. <laughs> so you might say, well, that's great. Uh, how is that biblical? Is, is that something? Is that's, uh, that's a question I always ask. Is this biblical? Is this something that people in the Bible do as well? Again, this is not science. But when I look at Jesus, I think there's definitely some of these things happening. First, he chooses people who are teachable. Um, it's interesting, I find, a lot of the conflict that we see in the Gospels is between Jesus and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who are learned, but they're not open to learn. On the other hand, we have the disciples, and a lot of them are not schooled. They haven't gone even to, like, they don't have their bachelors in, I don't know, theology. I'm not, I'm not, I, probably WSU doesn't have something like that, but um, they don't. They, they're, not, they're not schooled people, but they're open to learn from Jesus. And so a lot of it is our attitude. Do we have a desire to learn? Then Jesus used the scriptures. He would go to the synagogue and he'd be invited to teach from the scriptures. So he also used a reliable source of information. And of course, he himself says, I'm a reliable source of information. I only speak what the Father tells me to, to speak. And then the disciples needed to Understand, And so they walk with Jesus for a long time. They see him do all these things. And they start to kind of get an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's doing. And then Jesus gives them the opportunity to apply their knowledge or apply what they have learned. Um, In one place, you see that he sends out the 72, 72 of his followers out into the neighboring towns. And they go and and proclaim the gospel. They heal. They cast out demons. And... um, then they come back, and they're excited, and they tell Jesus, like, this is a great, great trip. And then there's a little bit of evaluation happening there. And Jesus says, well, that's great, but don't rejoice because you, you, um, the, the demons listened to you and left, but rejoice because your names are written in, in, in heaven. And so we see even there, like, Jesus helping them, to evaluate a little bit of that situation. Contextualization, I looked a little bit, as like, I'm not quite finding it, but I assume that even at the time when the, uh, the Jews would be reading the scriptures, they needed to figure out, ooh, this is a very different setting. There they were in Babylon, now we're here in Jerusalem. So there's, there's some shifts of that happening. Anyway, there you have my little biblical background on that. So, as I said, most of the time I'll be talking about the Bible and learning from the Bible. I want to give a disclaimer. I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. As part of that, we do a very specific type of Bible study. That's where most of my knowledge is. That's where I'm coming from. I'm not saying that doing any other type of Bible study is a bad thing. This is just what I've learned. I think it's a good method. Hopefully, you can get something out of that. Uh, But never during this sermon get the idea that I'm saying, oh, all other ways are wrong. Okay? So, we just have that cleared off. So let's go to the desire to learn, or I would like to flip it. What are actually the barriers that keep us from engaging the Bible, engaging uh, the learning that God has given us, the the Word of God? But there's a lot of barriers that at least I have, and I assume some of us have as well. well. Individually, I think as a society, we are fairly distracted nowadays with our smartphones, there's all kinds of stuff that pops up. Even if you read your Bible on your smartphone, there might be suddenly this text message pop up or some other random notification, and so our our attention span has dropped. I read the other day that I I do quite a few video calls, that 80% of the people who are on video calls at some point of time are doing something completely unrelated to actually engaging with that video call. They might be checking their email, reading the news, or anything else. So we're a very distracted kind of place. And that makes it hard to do individual Bible study as well. I I was hearing this um, on the radio, and I don't don't remember the specifics, like names and stuff, but the the story stayed with me. It's a a professor who remembered that in her 20s she had this book that was really difficult to read, but she loved reading it. It was her best, uh, uh, best type of novel that she's ever read, and she could just enjoy reading it over and over again. And then she fast-forwarded like, about 40 years, and she said she opened it again, expecting that same kind of excitement, but she found she couldn't get through it. Like After two sentences, she was like, I'm tired, I don't really want to read this. And so she stretched herself to keep reading the book every day, three pages, and just a little bit more. And she said it took about three weeks before she came to that place where she kind of got the same joy that she got from reading that book 40 years earlier We need to give the Word of God time to penetrate our hearts. And that doesn't work if you just read the verse. Even if you read the verse a day, it's not going to work. We need to take time to just spend with God, read the Bible, and let it sit. So, uh, And and I also want to say that another barrier I wanted to point out. I think in community sometimes we use language that might put off other people. I remember as a young Christian going to a Bible study, and I really liked the people, but they kept pulling, putting words into the Bible study that didn't make any sense to me. They weren't in the text, and there were words like predestination. I had no idea what they meant. They just made me feel stupid and made me not want to go back to that Bible study. So even those little things can be barriers. So I've here a, um, a list of barriers, and I want to give you a moment. I'll actually read through them with you and then uh, reflect Are some of those barriers true for you? So, um, I don't have enough time, which I think is a very common one to have. Um, I have heard or read that before. A lot of these stories are really familiar to us, and so we tend to check out. Uh, Maybe just distracted, like I mentioned before, or feel guilty that I don't read the Bible more often. (laughs) How many of us are there, right? I mean, sometimes we're in a good zone, and sometimes we're not. The words go over my head. There are parts of the Bible that's just hard to read. Had a bad experience in Bible study, just seems irrelevant. <laughs> I don't like reading. It's too much work. Doing a Bible study, specifically if you do it by yourself, can be a lot of work. Um, don't feel adequate to interpret the Bible. Let's let's just do the experts do it, right? And then we'll read what they think about it. Because it's just it's just hard to figure out what is actually being meant. Um, the Bible might challenge me to change. That's that's one of my favorite ones. Like, ah, let's not open it because God might say something and I might not like it, um, or I just don't know how to study. I don't have anyone to talk about it with. So I want to give you 30 seconds and write it down, or if you don't have anything to write it down, store it in that permanent place in your memory. 30 seconds. <laughs> And I uh, I would encourage you that if you wrote something down, or this is a barrier, to, to talk with somebody about that, a friend or somebody you trust, and and to pray about that and see, well, what barriers are keeping me from engaging the Word of God and giving me the desire that, that, to really want to press in. So then let's go to reading. Um, reading about... Yeah, I think this is one... There 's a lot of things I could say about reading, but I, the one I pulled out is that I think as Christians, I just want to pull this as wide as possible we we do this thing about reading about or listening about instead of reading the Bible, we read about the Bible there's some amazing authors out there that have great things to say, and so we do that because it 's easier than to engage the Bible directly or Instead of reading the Bible, we listen to a sermon. Maybe not just on Sunday, but have this whole set of podcasts, and we learn uh, from listening to great people, have great things to say. Or instead of reading the Bible, we have this thick study Bible, and sometimes the study notes in the bottom are actually more of the page than the actual Bible text on there. And so none of those things are bad, I'm not saying that, but they keep us one step removed From actually engaging the Word of God that God has given us. Instead of giving us some time to interpret what it says, we let other people do the hard work of interpretation for us. And so I would say, let's turn it around. When you read a great author, ask the question, is this biblical? When you hear a great sermon, say, well, where is that written? And do that with this sermon too. Like, Feel free to disagree with it and and look at the Bible and see if that's actually true. Or if you hear God's voice, ask, is that something that the God of the Bible would say? And look at it. And to do this, we need to have a firm understanding of the Bible, which we can learn. We can do this by ourselves and in community. So, of course, the question then you should ask, but Audrey, wait, is this biblical? Where is this written? Did you just make that up? So I do have, I didn't write down the page number in your Bibles, but it's Acts 17, verse 10. And this is just where Paul and Silas have gone to Ephesus, a uh, town in the Roman Empire. They've gone to the synagogue there, and they have been um, eventually, well, not kicked out of town, they fled town. They're like, there's a this, this riot, this is not good, let's get out of here. And they go to another town called Berea. <laughs> And it says here in Acts 17.10, When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. (laughs) They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. (laughs) And so these people said, okay, Paul, Silas, what you're saying sounds really good. I mean, we're hearing this. This sounds exciting. But we're not just going to assume that it is true because you said it. Let's look at the Scriptures. And let's see that the Scriptures are recording what you're telling us. (laughs) So what I want to do then now is to actually go to reading a little bit of Scripture and invite Annie to come with me to our coffee shop there we go. Coffee and scripture study with Annie. Oh my gosh. I know Annie is gonna. So welcome. I brought my coffee. I know I did not. I'm, i well, I'm, yes, I Yes. This is coffee. Yeah, there you it's go. coffee. It's coffee. See, it almost looks like a Starbucks logo from, a, from I thought it was. Yeah, I think it's our church logo actually. No. <laughs> oh. right, there we go. So, uh, well, welcome, Annie. <laughs> Good to be here. <laughs> Glad. That's why we go to this coffee shop, our <laughs> favorite coffee shop. But I can't uh, um, promote any specific coffee shops across the road. No, so it I, might, I would be d- nearby. might be nearby. Yes, that's right. There, so uh, <laughs> might be you might see us there once in a while. <laughs> Doesn't quite look like this one though. So I have too many pages. Let me figure out where all my stuff went. So yeah. Um, I wanted to look with you at a text today, a very short one, and we'll have it up there on the screen as well. It's, uh, oh, yeah, I need a mic. Oh, man, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're doing this all off the cuff here. Thanks. I'm, I don't usually have a mic in a coffee shop. <laughs> they don't allow that. At least she doesn't know about it. It's, uh, it's uh, hidden. Yeah, it's a Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is all <laughs> off script right now. Uh, so, so, Annie, we're going to look at Matthew 14 okay Uh, it's uh, this book obviously is written uh, by Matthew to a audience of Jews probably Christian Jewish people and um it's it's about halfway in this book, so the disciples have already known Jesus for a little bit. They have seen him do miracles. They've seen him casting out demons. They've seen him talk about the kingdom of heaven. So they've definitely had a little bit of time of initiation going on. And just before this, we see uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So the disciples have gone across with Jesus across the lake, but all the people follow him. And uh, they get there, he teaches, and then of course all these people are hungry, and there's these five loaves and two fish, and he breaks them, and keeps breaking them, and everybody gets fed. And after that, he sends them away, including the disciples, and the disciples get in their boat, they go across the water, and um, Jesus goes to pray uh, in the mountains. And that's, that's where we're at. Cool. So uh, would you like to just take a, uh, would you like to read it for us?
1: Yes, I would. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Great.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. So, the Bible study method we're using, we sometimes call OIA, observation, interpretation, and an application. So, I'm going to ask you to do some observations. Those are not observations that you say, oh, Pastor Jamie the other day said about this (laughs) passage. Okay, so their observations need to be from the text. Things you notice can be very simple observations like, oh, this is repetition, or that just sticks out to me. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, we prepped this, we were not going to do a full on Bible study here and take the next rest hour or so to do this. So uh, Annie really came up with some observations. And her text after doing this looked a little bit like, next slide. It's not super clear, but you see that she made some notes. And she underlined some things in different colors, just that that helped her pull off some of the things that she noticed out. So would you like to just uh, give us some of the observations you noticed?
1: yeah uh I noticed that walking on the water was mentioned three times ah in three yeah see in the, three different so you line in line three in line seven
0: right and again
1: it's just two in line three in line, line seven okay yeah. great. And then I noticed there was a repetition of the of words about fear and doubt and little faith. so fear, afraid, terrified, doubt, little faith.
0: Yeah, they all seem to kind of mm-hmm. a similar uh, category.
1: I think my biggest observation, the one that I was like, whoa, I never realized that, was in line four, the disciples say, it's a ghost. And then in line 11, they say, truly, you are the Son of God. So they, the disciples collectively call him two things, and one time, it's a ghost. Right. One of them Jesus is a ghost, <laughs> the
0: other time, he's the Son of God. Yeah, it's the Son of God. Which is kind of crazy, because the Jews didn't, like officially, religiously, not believe in ghosts. And so they choose to believe something that they're not actually supposed to even believe. Right. So that's...
1: Interesting.
0: Great observation. Um, do you have anything else? Or those were kind of the, the main ones. Uh,
1: I noticed that Peter calls Jesus Lord in line 6 and then Lord again in line hmm. 8, before and after the whole great. walking on the water thing.
0: Well, I'm going to give you a little bit more time. Those were great observations uh, to turn them into questions and Again, questions, they're going to be best if you look at your observation and say, uh, can I turn them into a question? Okay. So again, we already did this, <laughs> so we got, a couple, like, we got a list of questions. And then, in this case, I'm facilitating, so I said, like, let's look at these questions, because I think these are probably going to get us to the, un- the meaning of the text. So we're, we're, we're still in um, observation, but we're moving towards interpretation. So let's put the, the two questions on there, and... Um, uh, let, let's see if we can answer them. So we're going to try to answer these questions, even though all we have is the, uh, the text in front of us. So sometimes we might not be able to answer the question, but sometimes, a lot of the time, we, we do when we read carefully. So uh, one of the things you mentioned is that you, uh, and I rewrote the question a little bit, but what is the connection between that fear that you noticed, mm-hmm. this theme of fear, and then the, the faith, where Jesus said, "O oh, you of little faith. So I'm kind of asking you the question back. Yeah. You asked me the question, but I'm saying, oh, Annie, what do you think? Yes. What, what, do you, and, um, what ideas do you have on that?
1: My, What I see in the text is that they cried out in fear because they were scared.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... Um,
0: Which probably I would be. Yeah. yeah,
1: right? So would I? You're like dying. Um, and, then, and then Peter cried out in fear when he was afraid and he was sinking. But it looked like Jesus expected him... In 10, it says, oh, you have little faith. It looked like Jesus expected him to have faith right. in that moment.
0: Um, he doesn't say you had no faith.
1: Yeah, just a little.
0: But just a little, yeah.
1: And, and so maybe um, I think that from this text, and also I thought about this a little bit before, disclaimer, yeah, great. that from this text you kind of see that fear, I mean faith is is believing that Jesus will do what he says he could do, and is who he says he is, right? He's trying to prove that he's not a ghost, Um, but he's, in fact, Jesus, even when you don't have any proof that that's going to happen. So believing that Jesus, you know, Peter basically says, I want you to prove to me you are who you are. Mm -hmm. And then he says, okay, here's the proof. And the fear interrupts the fact that there's like, he, when he expected him to have faith that right. he was who he says, so there's this he
0: moment is. of faith getting on the water, and then there's this fear that kind of overtakes that, right. interrupts the faith that, that Peter is having.
1: Yeah, so I would say the connection is like fear disrupts faith. Because mm-hmm. faith, right? Is,
0: fear disrupts faith.
1: Yeah, faith is believing that Jesus is who he says he is, and, and fear mm. maybe is being afraid that he's not.
0: Yep, great. So this is the moment I wa- want to maybe jump to, and like, oh, I want to go to application. We're like, no, let, let's answer that other question too, because there might be more in this text. So let's try the other question that you, that you asked as well. What changed for the disciples in this story that they cried out ghost, and then all the way to the end, call him the son of God? That's a big difference.
1: I think one thing that really stood out to me was that uh, they they cried out, it's a ghost, and then Peter was the only one who said, prove to me you are who you say you are. But then they all believed that he actually was who says he was when the wind ceased and Mm. their lives were saved. So it's like through this process, they said, it's a ghost. And obviously, that's a misidentification of who Jesus is. is. Right. And then at the end, they sort of, they got it. They understood. Uh,
0: They got a little puzzle piece.
1: Right. And and it was through, right, this, I don't know, this proof. But I, I think... I think even maybe for them, it, it says that they didn't start worshiping him until the wind ceased for themselves. So maybe they, they, after they got saved themselves, then they were like, oh no, this is the Son of God, right. not a ghost. <laughs>
0: so. There you go, yeah. And if we would have done a whole series on this, we would have had a Bible study last week about the 5,000, and we might have gotten to the conclusion, like, who there's some allusion to the Old Testament there, where God gives manna in in the desert to people to feed his people right and now he does it again so there is already that connection between jesus and this kind of thing that only god can do is make food out of nowhere and now we see it again like god lord jesus seems to have some kind of power over the storms which is like there's always the only person who ever had in the old testament has power over storms is god and so again those illusions The, the the reader at the time or the hearer at the time would have picked up on that great So, like you said, we kind of go from this misidentification of Jesus and fear. What is a ghost? And there's a storm, which is also fearful, to to seeing Jesus for who he really is. And that leads to worship. So that understanding of the Son of God deepens. And I like what you said. You can trust that Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. And and it reminds me of a lot of times in my life where um, I was alone and down Uh, but God showed up in the midst of that. And uh, even though there might have been a moment where I lost some of my faith, it then came back even bigger and in a fuller understanding of God. So as an application question, I would like to ask you, what is one way this this week, and it can be very small, Mm -hmm. towards trusting God more?
1: I think for me, when I am trying to trust God in ways that are new, I reflect on ways that I have... Uh, seen God be faithful to me in the past. So this week, I am doing something new at work. I'm leading a five-day Bible study camp, and I have never done that. And I need, uh, I I think one way that I could prepare for that is by reflecting on ways that God has been faithful and trustworthy and applying that to this new thing that's happening in my life.
0: Great. Great. Thank you. So this is just a Little cousin. Obviously, it's played. We, we prepped this a little bit. And the other thing I want to say, I felt really much like the leader right now. Normally, it's way more of an interaction, and I might share my observations, my questions, and my application as well. It's not like one leader and one person just doing this. But thank you, Annie. Of
1: course. Enjoy
0: the rest of your coffee. Don't forget to take it with you. Thank you. And we might, uh, should we turn off that mic, or is that okay? We'll be good. I will all be good. Great. Well, give Annie a hand. The reason I wanted to show you, because I think there is a pitfall, like what we do really easily if we don't follow a little bit of a structure like this, and that is to um, to ask the question after we've read the text, what does it mean to me directly? And we, we don't take the time to understand the text and to contextualize it to our own Uh, environment so that god can do even a deeper work on us and and there is even a danger that we might apply it incorrectly because we didn't get to what the author was actually trying to say so a few things about understanding is where does it fit in the text so i tried to quickly say it's about here in the text this happened before and it just helps with understanding context is important And then the other thing, I just said it, what is the author trying to communicate? Now, you might say, well, but this is the Word of God. God is trying to communicate. What does Matthew have to do with this, right? But it's kind of this mysterious thing that God has chosen us in Acts 1-8 to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. He could do it himself, but for some reason he chose us, and we have very specific characters, and I, I communicate differently than you do. And so he has chosen to do that. The same way he has chosen people throughout history to write his Bible. And these people had very specific reasons to write what they were writing. And so trying to figure that out, I think, is a really important thing. Similarly, they were writing to a very specific audience. Uh, Matthew didn't write to a six-foot, four-inch-tall, blue-eyed Dutch guy using a smartphone Sometimes watching the British baking show, right? That was not part of his idea of his audience. And so, understanding that he was writing to a Jewish, a Christian audience, that was, and there's some more context in this, they, they, they were at odds with the religious leaders at the time. That helps to set a lot of Matthew into a different perspective. And when we understand that, we can then make this the step to contextualize better now a lot of this might sound really hard i really think it sounds harder than it is we can do this just with a little bit of text just a few friends and say okay let's do observations do those questions let's try to answer them and do some application and generally if you do that you're just gonna have a fun bible study but there are some tools that you can use to make it a little better i would say if you have a study bible Try not to look at any of that until after you've done your own observations, after you've asked your own questions, and maybe even try to answer some of them, and then look at the, some of those things. Because there's still going to be great information in there. But let, let's do the hard work first for ourselves. And then you can have something like a background commentary. Not a normal commentary, but one that tells you a little bit about, the, about Israel, about the Jews, or well, about ghosts maybe. Like, who, what, I wonder what the Jews thought about ghosts. Uh, And dictionary could be also helpful there. Like you could actually look up the word ghost and see what people thought. So a Bible dictionary, right? A normal dictionary, probably not going to help you there. Um, And then then you're ready to contextualize. And um, there we got like to, uh, I'm trying to think what we exactly came to, but um, like the, the, the phrase where she said, Jesus is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. That is something that you can take and that is something that you can make uh, uh, um, the next step to application because that's something that works for all of us. That's kind of taken out of the cultural context. So then we get to what I think is probably the hardest part and that is to apply and then evaluate and apply again. It's it's, like a lot of this is really fun sitting together, going through the Bible and then we have to get to application. Reading my bread recipe and enjoying trying to figure out what it means, maybe rewriting it a little bit, contextualizing it, and after an hour, sitting down and saying, man, I had a great bread recipe study. I'm going to watch some TV. That makes no sense. That's not why there's bread recipes. Bread recipes should call us to action. Otherwise, there's never going to be that great bread coming out of my oven. Similarly, reading the Bible, having great conversation, but not doing anything with it, does not lead to transformation. So again, hey, Adri, where is that written? Where is that in the Scripture? Good question. You're getting, you're getting this. So let's go to James 1, 22, and see what James has to say. Again, sorry, I did not write down the page number on the Bible that we have here. So you'll just have to slide, go fairly far towards the end of your Bible get to James 1, and at 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And I like that example of a mirror. I, I, I found out that our mirror in our house, I mean, it's pretty clean, it's pretty nice, but the lights over it aren't all that bright, and so I don't really, I, I like it. I kind of look really good in it because I don't see all the details. And then I go to a hotel, and it's a super bright light, and I think that the, the, the mirror might have some magnification. I'm like, oh, especially in the morning, I'm like, Old. You see all these, all these details and they reflect, right? Now, it really doesn't matter if we have some inadequacies like that. We don't look perfect, right? But when we look in the Bible and we're confronted with some of the stuff that's going on in our hearts that isn't right and then we walk away and not do anything with it, uh, that's, that's really, yeah, it's not worth anything. So then the question becomes, how do we apply well? And I think that's one of the questions. For I, I've done eight years of international student ministry, and uh, still a question I find difficult to answer. I think application is one of the hardest things when we get to the end of our Bible study. Uh, I think one of them is to do it together and keep each other accountable. <laughs> that's really one of the ways of, of going. Um, at the end of the text ask the question or end of the study in light of this text what can i do or what can i do differently this week and then come up with something concrete like even if it is i can spend a couple of minutes every day to this week to spend time with god or uh, i am going to have a 3 hour sabbath right i'm not at, like saying don't don't try to come up with these ridiculously big application except if, if that's really something you're going to do give something that that is doable uh, and then there's the most important, probably, and maybe slightly awkward part of it. Next week, when you get back together, ask the question, how did it go? How did the application go? That's where a little bit of the accountability comes in. So you might say, Audrey, this is a lot of work. (laughs) I'm already tired just listening to you. Is this worth it? I would say, yes, it is worth it. Um, Last week, when I made my bread, and I tried some different things with my friend yeast, and it worked out really well. And I got a bread out of the oven. I was excited. And then my family ate from it. And then Annie and Joe came by. And they brought some amazing food themselves. But they also ate my bread. And I felt, this is great. Sharing this bread with friends is amazing. But this is not just bread. This is the Word of God. This is about our relationship with God. This is about being transformed. It's about learning how to love God, our neighbor, our neighborhood, our church. This is absolutely worth it. So, I think we're going to sing doxology in a minute, right? So, you could come up if you like to do that. Um, I want to give you a few more seconds. Like earlier on, I said, and I think that's the first step. We have these barriers that keep us from engaging the Bible. And it might be at different levels for you. I would say... Give another few uh, seconds to think about this, like who are you going to ask this week or who are you going to uh, talk about this this week? Like I have this barrier and you're my friend or you're somebody I trust and just want to talk about it because that is a beginning of having a desire to deeper engage with the word of
1: God.